0: You know, we trust our media team to do those little like snippets of the sermon they'll put up on Facebook and Instagram, and considering both of us are going to be saying the words, "I am too stupid to be a man today." we're trusting you. Okay? <laughs> Emily does not look trustworthy back there. <laughs> I am very glad to be able to close out our series on Proverbs this morning talking about, of course, wisdom and the wisdom of the word. And all of this will be centered on the word of God, but that is really going to be our big climactic finish here, just like for the passage that Alex read from the wise words of Agur, and uh, the Bible has a very little bit to say about Agur, it's what Alex read, (laughs) that's all we know about him. What we do also know about him, though, was while he claims to not be wise, he clearly had gained wisdom. And we're going to look at some things from his life today that show us, or what he was writing here, that show us what wisdom is, and especially at the end of our message today, why the Word of God is the ultimate source of wisdom. Now, especially, I teach at a Christian school outside of here, and I was not able to get uh, notes and slides in time for you to have a printout. So if you can have a notebook, or if you want to use that little blank space in the front of your bulletin, wherever you want to write down on your hand, your neighbor's hand, wherever it is, don't use the pews, please. Um, but you, my will has some things that you can write down. I want to share with you a story that I think helps give an illustration of the way I think Agar was really feeling here in his pursuit of wisdom. In maybe my fourth or fifth year of youth ministry, Jessica and I took a group to a summer camp called Camp Caswell, and there was a boy with us. I won't use his real name. We'll just call him Alex for the sake of the story. Okay? We'll imagine Alex. And like many of a teenage boy at, at a summer camp, he found a girl that he thought was cute. I know Jessica knows exactly the story I'm talking about now. And so Alex was just the, the most kind of harmless flirting you can ever imagine, although not really flirting. He thought she was cute and he was terrified, right? But then eventually I figured out who that girl's youth pastor was, and apparently she thought the same thing about Alex And so we were having fun kind of picking on our kids. Because every youth minister knows we have two callings, to share Jesus with our students and embarrass the mess out of them as much as possible. And they had a huge swimming pool. And there was one day a whole bunch of groups were there swimming in the swimming pool. And, of course, Alex and this girl were there and just, you know, looking at each other from a distance. So me and the youth pastor of her church decided we were going to try to have some fun. And so we kept corralling them. without them realizing it, closer and closer and closer to each other. And I'd really never known this kid to be shy, right, Jessica? Ever, ever. (laughs) He was one of the most outgoing, rambunctious boys I've ever met in my life, but he would not go and at least even talk to this girl. So finally, we got, without them realizing it, we got them so close, and in the Oh man, the most embarrassing way possible. He turned, she's as close as I am to Muzan right here, and he locked eyes with her, and he shrieked in a sound a young man should not make, and he swam the other direction. (laughs) And I grabbed him, and I said, Alex, what's wrong? And he said, I said, why won't you talk to her? And he said, I can't, I'm too awkward. Those are the words that came out of his mouth. Very much an earshot of this girl. So that didn't continue. <laughs> but, it, but it was that, that moment that was a realization for this boy that he was faced with a moment of truth and found his limitation. For him in that moment, I'm too awkward. <laughs> for Agar, and for most of us, what he is looking for, and especially throughout this series of Proverbs, what we have been hopefully chasing after is wisdom. I really pray that all of us at some moment in our lives pray the prayer that Solomon, who wrote most of this book of the Bible, asked God for. When, he said, when God said, you can have anything you want, and Solomon said, God, I need help. I need wisdom. And hopefully we all ask that, and hopefully we're all seeking it. But I can guarantee you, if you are actually seeking wisdom as desperately as Solomon was, as desperately as Agur was, then at some point, we're going to come to that moment of realization where we're going to say the same thing Agur did as well. When he says, I am weary, O God. I am weary, and I'm worn out, and I need your help, because I'm too stupid to be a man. No, Emily. (laughs) I'm too stupid to be a man, and I don't even know enough about who God is. So God, I need your help. That's the cry of our hearts when we are reaching out for wisdom. So from this passage, I want to show us where I think God shows us through what Agur says, four different ways to finally find wisdom from his word and with his word. So if you want to write this down, here's the first place that wisdom comes from. Wisdom comes from knowing our status before the Lord. Wisdom comes from knowing our status before the Lord. Look once again at verses 1 through 3. We just quote them a little bit here. It says, The words of Agur, son of Jekeh, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. He's weary. And if I won't ask us to raise our hands, but if I did, I'm sure many of us in here would be able to raise our hand and say, I'm weary. I'm tired. Right, Alex? <laughs> We're worn out. And even, trust me, or maybe especially as pastors, when we try to study the Bible week after week, it makes us feel stupid as we try to ex- like find a way to expound on it in a way that speaks to our hearts and speaks to the hearts of everyone that we speak to. It's tiring. It's hard. Chasing after wisdom is difficult. But what makes us so weary when we seek wisdom is our fallen human state. So if we were more like God, if we were like Him, it would be easy. He is the embodiment of wisdom but for us we're not we're limited we can try with all of our might to reach wisdom but we simply can't do it our fallen sin nature limits us from reaching the heights god has called us to the passage i always remind myself in my life i try to remind my students of it all the time when they ask how like what am i supposed to do to live for god i'm like well god gave us a very clear command but a very difficult command when he said be holy as i am holy Who's reached that yet? (laughs) No. And if you try that, you will get weary. We will get tired. We will that's a quick way to look at yourself and say, Wow, I am way too stupid to reach that point. (laughs) Because we can't. So we try and we try, but the harder we try, the more we realize it's impossible. And well, all that's doing is we keep trying to follow the law. We keep trying to be a better Christian and do more religious things. You've, we will keep saying this till you're tired of it. You might already be tired of it, but that's what we try to preach against here. It has nothing to do with just doing religious things. Those are good things, yes, but even those things are not going to help you reach wisdom. If you're coming here and hearing God's word, praise God for that. But you could be sitting in this pew for the wrong motives. If you're only in here so you can check off the box and say, alright, I went to church, I'm a little bit wiser. (laughs) No, you just got more foolish. Wisdom has nothing to do with just checking off religious boxes. That's not going to get us closer to wisdom. It's not going to get us closer to God or salvation because our sin will always outdo those good things we try to do. We don't like to think about it that way. That's not what other like prosperity gospel type preachers will try to tell you, but if we're all honest with ourselves, we can nod our heads and say it's true. Right? We are. Our sin will always hold us back. So what do we do? Well, we need to the first step, we have to acknowledge that. But I want to make sure we understand this isn't a call to just be self-deprecating. We don't just walk around all day of our lives going, I'm so stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. And we just like act like that. No, that's not the point of it. The point is to move away from that foolishness. But we do need to recognize our status before God. Because too many people live their lives like they're the boss. And right now I'm not talking about non-Christians. Them too. I'm talking about us. (laughs) Way too many Christians tend to think way too highly of ourselves. I'm a good person. I've accomplished so much in my life, in the life of the church. I provide wealth and prosperity for my family. I I work tirelessly for the church. Look at me, God. I'm such a good Christian. And that's how we act in our own lives. But notice that Agar here speaks differently. He (laughs) He keeps claiming that he doesn't have wisdom, but we see the wisdom pour out of his words because he knew where he stood before his God. There's a Christian band from my hometown of Raleigh that I've loved listening to over the years. They, they disbanded just because they all had other jobs, and Christian music doesn't make money <laughs> for, for, for a lot of bands. But their name is Atlas, and they made a worship album called Gospel Hymns, which is one of my favorite worship albums ever. And they have a song in there called, When I'm Standing in Your Presence. It's the idea of a man getting to heaven for the very first time. He's standing before God, and it's his thoughts standing before his God. And I want you to listen to the words of what they said here. He says, when I'm standing in your presence for the first time, when the mysteries of this life are understood, when the questions I have here all fade from my mind, and you set my fears and doubts to rest for good. I will gaze into your glorious face at last, and I'll fall beneath the splendor of your smile. But there's still one question I will have to ask. Oh God, why is a wretch like me your child? And then the chorus says this, I'll never comprehend why you would condescend to give your life for one so cold as mine. I'll never know why. And then listen to this explanation of the gospel towards the end of the song. My heart was chained down, my soul was fettered, the love we once shared, my sin had severed. I lay in ashes, poor as a beggar, you should have left me lying there forever. Instead, you reached out, you took my fetters, you spilled your blood, your flesh was severed, you gave me your crown, became a beggar, and then you rose again to give me life forever. See, that's the cry of a heart that knows their status before God. Salvation, uh, godly life, wisdom has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with a God who looks at us in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, and rescues us out of it. Because here's the incredible thing about knowing our status before the Lord. Is it begins as a broken, sinful enemy of God. But praise God, he sent his son to change our status. It doesn't have to stay that way. You see, God looked at us and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. To become sin for us on the cross. To give us eternal life. And when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, our status before God changes. So wisdom starts By knowing our status before the Lord, it begins with a humble acknowledgement that we are broken, sinful rebels, enemies of God, with no hope on our own. But praise the Lord, if you've accepted Jesus today, your status has changed, and you are now a beloved son or daughter of God. And once we truly know our status before the Lord, we get to see the next bit of wisdom that Agar shares with us. Write this down. Not only does wisdom come from knowing our status before the Lord, but then wisdom comes from knowing God's status above us. We have to go to that opposite end. It's exactly what he does. We have to humbly admit who we are before God, but we need to know God's status above us. Agar starts asking a string of questions very similar to the questions that God would ask of Job. Are we familiar with that story? Job was a very righteous man. He had done all the good things, and he truly was a godly man. And yet, Satan comes, and he destroys most of his life. His kids get taken from him. His servants, his um, animals, his wealth, his possessions get taken from him. His health gets taken from him. And yet, he doesn't curse God. What he does start to do is question None of us can blame him for that. (laughs) We would all question what was happening in that moment. But God does remind Job in that story when he says, I want to remind you, O man, creature of the dust, (laughs) who I am. Look at the verses again. Look at the questions, these rhetorical questions. Okay, Agar knows the answer to these because there's only one possible answer for these questions. But look at what he says in verses four or verse four here. He says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. In my over a decade at this point of youth ministry and Bible teaching, I've had so many students ask me to describe God to them. Again, a very fair question. But... As, Alex, as you saw in the one day of coming to my school, it's hard to explain anything to a middle schooler. Parents of middle schoolers, you know it's true, right? And my answer is always, I can't. (laughs) At least not fully. God has revealed a lot of himself to us, but we will never be able to understand everything about God. God is the supreme creator of everything. Our brains and even our imaginations are limited by the space and time we exist in, right? But here's something that will keep you awake at night. God created space and time. He exists outside of it, and we can't actually comprehend that. He's not limited to those things or anything. See, we hide during a storm from great strong winds, but God holds the wind in his fist. I remember when Hurricane Fran came through Nightdale, North Carolina when I was a little kid, and it scared the pants off of me as trees literally fell all around our house, crushed my mom's car. And I was, I've been terrified, well, not anymore, but as a kid, I was terrified of storms, just hearing that wind rushing by. The Bible says God takes one fist, and all of the winds on the earth, he just holds them in his hand. Water fills up over 70% of our entire planet, right? And it is actually one of the most destructive forces on our planet. And yet it says God gathers all of it up neatly, and if he wants to make garments out of it, he can Right? Can, can we picture that? Can we imagine that? That's the God that we serve. We exist on earth, okay? We've made it to the moon, probably. <laughs> just kidding. We've made it to the moon, right? People listen online. I'm sure there's going to be people commenting. <laughs> but for the most part, we've just been here on earth. God created and establishes not just our earth, but the entire universe way past what we've been able to see with telescopes and rovers and satellites. That's the God that we serve. And this is the God we go to when we ask for wisdom. We're not asking someone like ourselves. Now, truly, we can find wisdom in other humans. We've all probably received words of wisdom, especially from someone older than us who has more experience than us, and we're not discounting any of that. But they don't have perfect wisdom, right? All the, the senior saints in here—none of you would say that you have perfect wisdom in your life, even if you have a lot to share with us, much younger in our lives and younger in the faith. But that's not who we go for or who we go to. We need to remember who it is when we go to God for wisdom when we pray. Who it is that we're talking to? And what's really awesome about this passage is that's exactly what Agur does. If you go through all of Proverbs, so much of this book of the Bible asks, what is wisdom? Which is a great question as we seek it. And then Agur does something here that's very interesting. He changes the form of the question from what is wisdom to who is wisdom? Where do I go to? Catch what he said there. He says at the end of those questions, he says, what is his name? And what is his son's name? See, we, we can't just treat wisdom as some metaphysical thing that we just hope to receive. We have the embodiment of it. We have God, that creator who answers all of these questions Agur asked. We have him to go to, and he's revealed himself to us. But then Agur asks something really strange for the Old Testament. <laughs> he says, what is his name and what is his son's name? What a prophetic question from Agur here. And I want to show you where Jesus fits into this and then where, believe it or not, church, we fit into this. See, the structure of proverb literature, and you see this throughout all of this book, is the idea of a father imparting wisdom to his son. You see it all throughout the book. My son, hear these words. Solomon did it in almost every part that he's writing to. Because that's what a culture expected of a father. He would impart wisdom to His Son so that that Son could impart wisdom to someone else. And that's what happens with God. He didn't leave His wisdom a mystery. He sent His Son to be the embodiment of His wisdom on earth for us to have a relationship with Him. Because I also want you to see this, church, and the, the third thing I want you to get. Wisdom comes from having a relationship with the Almighty God. It's not just reading about him. It's not just knowing about him. He said, I have shared my wisdom with you, especially in the person of my son, Jesus. But it's not supposed to stop there. Just as in this culture, it was expected that the son would impart his wisdom to the next generation. Well, if you remember from the first point, when we become Christians, our status changes from broken, sinful rebel to children Of God, and God imparts His wisdom to us through that relationship we have with Him, and it's not supposed to stop with us. We then take that wisdom and we pass it on to our next generation. That's what we're called to do. That's what it looks like to have that relationship with God. That's the salvation that is brought to us to Jesus, and I just want that to be such a reminder and encouragement to you this morning. We got to see someone get saved this past week. And it's the greatest thing to happen in anyone's life, in the life of a church, to see someone put their life and their trust and their faith in Jesus. And if you haven't found that relationship with that almighty God who's able to do all of those incredible things yet, you can today. He wants to start that relationship with you. And if you want to know more about him, because as I told my students, we can't know everything about God, but we can learn a lot about him because he chose to reveal himself to us. Because the blessed thing about God is he didn't leave himself fully hidden. He gave us his word. Because once we know our status before the Lord and we see his status before us, we then get to see the blessed truth of God's or, or of what God's word is for us. The next thing I want you to know here is that wisdom comes from knowing God's word. I want you to understand God did not have to reveal Himself to us, okay. He created us from dust. He's powerful enough to create the universe with a word. He didn't have to reveal himself to us, but because he loves us and wants to share his wisdom with us, he chose to. Even though we are sinful, he didn't leave us in the dark, reaching around blindly to figure out who our God is. He gave us his word. And this book is the most incredible thing that you will ever own and hold in your life. And the fact that we have so much access to it today, if you have a smartphone, you can have the Bible for free. <laughs> right? You can, like, at um, Winter, we just took the youth group, and some of the people at church here went to Winter Jam, and there's a cool thing called life, the Life Book, which is a, the book of John, with kind of some commentary notes for teenagers written in it. And there's an organization that said, hey, if your church wants some Life Books, we'll send you over a thousand of them. You just got to ask. <laughs> right? We can get the Bible so easily, And that's wonderful, but I want to make sure we know what the Bible is. Because just saying this, wisdom comes from knowing God's word. That might sound like the most cliche thing for a pastor to say, right? All right, read your Bibles. Let's go to lunch. (laughs) right? But if that's all we're saying, we're missing the depth and the seriousness of what God's word is. Well, I've, this whole year, my class at my Christian school that I teach at has been on the Bible and what it is. And there's three words that teach us what the Bible is that even Agra's passage here teaches us. is that God's Word, I encourage you to write these three things down, is inspired, inerrant, and sufficient. Inspired, inerrant, and sufficient. Agar said in that passage in verse 5, we'll start out here, he says, Every word of God proves true, and he's a shield to those who take refuge in him. What it means that God's word is inspired is that the Holy Spirit worked through and led the human authors that God chose to write the words of Scripture to make sure that every single word on that page was his words. It's really amazing to see that God allowed the human authors to have their own personality, their own writing style to come out. It's why I like Paul so much. He's actually pretty sarcastic. In some of his writings, I identify very well with that. <laughs> but the Bible says that, in, especially in 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We can trust that every single word on these pages, while they were penned by human hands, was exactly what God wanted it to say. It is breathed out by God onto these pages. But it's also inerrant. And what that means is there's not a single error to be found in the Bible. Now, that has nothing to do with a typo or a misprint on the specific words of your pages, okay? The Bible wasn't written in English, and it wasn't made with a printing press. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek many, 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 many years ago. But here's the incredible part, okay? Is that when you span the Old Testament to the New Testament, the vast amount of different human authors over an A huge expanse of time through many different cultures and times in history, and yet all of it works together seamlessly. Not a single part of it contradicts itself. Not a single prophecy in it has ever been proven untrue. Because if it had been, we wouldn't have a job. (laughs) Okay? And in fact, as archaeology and science continues, we keep finding things. It's really fun, especially as ministers, whenever scientists keep going, hey, we found this new thing. That actually kind of points to something that's in the Bible. And we're like, yes. (laughs) We've been trying, like my three-year-old loves to say to me, I told you. (laughs) We shouldn't word it that way to them. But God told you (laughs) is the better word, right? And we're never going to find an error because if it had been just pinned by humans, there'd be errors all over the place. But it wasn't. It's God's inspired and errant word. But church, it's also sufficient. It's everything we need. The, the other part of sec, uh, our uh, Scripture passage from this morning, from Second Timothy 3.16, look at what it says here. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, cor- for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And look at what Agur said here in verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. From the moment this book was formed, the canon of our 66 books of God's word was formed, this is it. See, Alex and I don't bring you a new word. If we do, we've messed up. Our job is to take what God has already said and impart it to you in a way that all of us can understand and learn from. If there's ever a pastor that tries to tell you they've received a new word from the Lord, they are a false teacher. There are no new prophets today receiving a new vision from the Lord. There is no cult leader that has received a new revelation from the Lord. His word is finished, and it is sufficient, and it is all that we need. Amen? And it's all that we need for wisdom. So as we close out this series on Proverbs... I want to remind us that this is how we find wisdom. We notice our status before the Lord. Without God, we are hopeless, broken sinners. But praise God, we don't have to stay in that status. That if we trust Jesus, we can become beloved, forgiven children of God. And then we can look at this God and recognize His status before us. That we don't worship some idol made by human hands. We don't worship something that stays so far away from us that we can never understand even a little bit of him. We worship the God of the universe who loves us so much that he gave us his word to teach us who he is. Do you need that wisdom today? Do you need that relationship with God today because it's offered to you? Jesus has been all through this sermon. (laughs) Because you know what John called Jesus in his book? The word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God's Word, the embodiment of his wisdom and his love and himself that he gave for us. I pray that you know him today. Let's pray together.